Welcome to Hot Off the Press, a podcast that provides knowledge and emotional support for new and aspiring printers. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano. And I'm Mariah of Mariah Creates, and we are two letterpress printers who believe in sharing our knowledge and learning together. We're here to help bridge the gap between antique printing methods and modern design. So hang up your apron, put down those palette knives, and let's get into what's hot off the press. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to Hot Off the Press. I'm Mariah of Mariah Creates, and I'm here with my fellow business aficionado and letterpress printer friend, Jillian of Studio Soprano. And we are starting off with a couple of books, and we want to do kind of like a little book club around some not just letterpress-based you know, materials, but some creative field or artistic inspiration and business education books as well. So we've got a little bit of a list going, and we're going to just kind of break down each of the books as we go through them on our list and hopefully give you some ideas and some new reading material to kind of, you know, whether it's to refuel that creative spark, or if you're new in the creative field and looking to kind of get some inspiration or some advice, or if you're just looking to grow or develop your business, we're going to kind of go through some different books in those categories and hopefully provide you with some good reasons to read them. Um, and yeah, so we're going to make this a little series. So there'll be a couple parts to look forward to. And today we're going to talk about two different books in kind of a more general creative artistic kind of realm. So yeah, let's get started. Yeah. What I really like about this is I think both books are good for kind of beginners, but the book that I read is also really good if you've been doing this for a while. Um, because the moment I started reading it, I was like, this person has read my mind and put all my insecurities into this book and is going to awesome. solve me. <laughs> yeah. And I think what's great about this series also is that like we're each reading one of these books. So I haven't read the book that Jillian has read. She hasn't read the book that I've read. There will be some overlap in other books as we get through the list, but I think it's going to be really fun for us to like have a conversation and like, I'm probably going to be like, oh my God, Jillian described this and that, and I'm going to totally go read this book now. So we're kind of along with you on that. You know, this is new information to us. So yeah, I think it'll be fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had never heard of, so the book Jillian's going to be talking about, tell us about the book briefly, and then we'll talk about how we're deciding these books are the ones we want to talk about. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about The War of Art, and that's by Stephen Pressfield, who's actually really known for his historical fiction. So writing a book like this is kind of a step out of his genre, but it's a really phenomenal book. And it was recommended to me vis-a-vis Brit, who Brit from Swell Press, as you all know, did the Learn Letterpress course, which was phenomenal. And then she also did a small business academy And in that small business academy, one of the first books that she brought up in like that little book club was War of Art. And I read it, instantly bought it that day and was like pouring through the first few chapters. They're very short. It's a super quick read. Um, But it was like mind blowing. And I was like, more people need to know about this book because I truly hadn't heard of it until Britt mentioned it. Yeah, I had never heard of it either. And I'm the... There are a million books out there. Um, if you all don't know, I do like to read. I'm very much an avid re- reader. Instead of binging TV shows, I generally binge book series. Um, it's usually much more light, fluffy things than you know business development books. But um, I do love to read. So this was like, this is basically my two passions merging into one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hot off the press meets my really long to be read list. So um, yeah, it's great. So yeah, yeah, this is fun. And then bringing the other side of the spectrum, I actually, it's not that I don't love to read. I've never built the habit of reading. When I was younger, I used to like to read but that was before we had all the gizmo gadgets that we have now. And I tend to be scrolling TikTok way too long to ever finish a book. But the ones that we are suggesting for the book club, the ones that I've already read were like mind blowing. And then the ones that have been recommended or that we've kind of found along the way, I'm really excited to dive into. So, um, all right. So let's start with this one. So the book itself has a foreword, of course. And I actually skipped the foreword the first time that I read it. But then to refresh myself for um, this episode, I actually listened to the audiobook, which you can find on YouTube for free. So that's sort of amazing. <laughs> yeah. So go do that right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I genuinely wanted to pay for it. I looked it up on Audible and it was like, click here to submit an email it was like something so weird it was like I couldn't buy it on audible so then I just googled it to see where else it might be and it's on YouTube so I will definitely put a link in the description but also I highly recommend just buying it because it's one of those books where the chapters are sometimes only a couple sentences long and they're all very potent and you're going to want to highlight them and probably like tattoo some of this stuff on your body. <laughs> <laughs> but So back to the foreword. So when I listened to the foreword, the very first like three sentences, I was just like, oh my God, this is exactly why I love this book. So I'm just going to read the first few sentences of the foreword, which was written by Robert McKee. And Robert is an author, a lecturer, and a story consultant. So not being of the literary universe, I don't personally know him, but I take it on good faith that he is well-established in his industry. (laughs) (laughs) So Stephen Pressfield wrote The War of Art for Me. He undoubtedly wrote it for you, too. But I know he did it expressly for me because I hold Olympic records for procrastination. I can procrastinate thinking about my procrastination problem. To which uh, I said, <laughs> me too, Robert. That is me totally you, Jillian. No too. offense. And me too also. Yeah, like that's that's actually really – what a great forward. Like he wrote this book for me, but he definitely wrote it for you. And like I think that, you know, like you said, everyone is going to like want to bookmark some of these pages and stuff because – it's it's going to apply to all of us. I just have a feeling. <laughs> no, it really is. It's one of those things where as you're reading it, you feel caught red-handed. Like yeah. every single thing Calls you out that on your you, bullshit. Every single thing that has run through your head about your work and your process and whatever, the negative thoughts that you think only you think. Steven calls you out on it. And he like identifies it and he tells you the source of it. And it is just, it's so enlightening. And like, yeah, I guess someone could say whatever it, it's all bullshit, but it's not like, it's actually not everything in this book. I was like, this is so valid and so true. Um, okay. But because Steven does write fiction predominantly, he thought about this concept of procrastination and resistance 
that he really wanted to write a book about. And at first he was going to adapt it to being about characters and like make a story. So basically you would come to the same conclusion, but you would actually read it through a fictional story. But then he ended up realizing that that was his own form of resistance and he needed to just (laughs) step out of his genre and write this freaking book. So I really appreciate that he did something that felt really scary to him in order to give us this absolute nugget. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. So the entire book revolves around resistance. That's just it. The whole thing is all about resistance. And I'm probably going to say that word 50 million times during this recap. But like the first like 15 chapters are just resistance colon something else. So it truly is all about that. And it's divided into three parts. So the first book covers what resistance is where it shows up in your life, how it feels to you, which all were like as if he could peer inside my brain and then write <laughs> what so I was rude. thinking. So I rude know, to call us so out like rude. that, man. <laughs> I felt violated in a good way. Um, the second part is all about overcoming the resistance in a way a true professional would. And this part of the book was actually the most fascinating to me because he talks about what it is to be a professional. And I think we all have a slightly different definition of what a professional is. Like my uncle tells people that he's a professional actor because technically he was paid once to act in a community play. And (laughs) if you Google the definition of a professional, it's like someone who gets paid for the work that they do. Yeah. (laughs) Like if you really boil it down to that. Whereas for me... I think of people as their trade, like a stationer or an architect or whatever. And it's really the character of which they carry themselves that makes them a professional to me. Yeah. And then Steven just took it a whole other freaking level and was like, here are all the ways that someone is truly a professional. Um, So that's really fascinating in the second part of the book. And then the third part of the book covers the power of muses that can take over when you've actually freed yourself from the shackles of resistance. So the whole thing is kind of a map. Like the beginning tells you about all the shit you're feeling. Then like the second part is showing you the way out. And then the third part is showing you like how great the the world could be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Once you're on the other side. Yeah. So um, I'm going to dive into a couple details and just pull a few excerpts because this book is so jam-packed with nuggets. Like I said, it's a really quick read. Some of the chapters are a paragraph long um, and very, very potent. But one of the – all of the biggest takeaways for me were the ones that just like hit you across the face with a very direct point. So – For example, in the first chapter, there's a story about Hitler. And this is a direct excerpt from the book. You know, Hitler wanted to be an artist. At 18, he took his inheritance, 700 Cronin, and moved to Vienna to live and study. He applied to the Academy of Fine Arts and later the School of Architecture. Ever see one of his paintings? Neither have I. Resistance beat him. Call it an overstatement, but I'll say it anyway. It was easier for Hitler to start World War II than it was for him to face a blank square of canvas. 
Oh boy. Wowza. <laughs> That's coming in strong. I like it. It's coming in so strong. But at the same time, it's like when you read all the stuff leading up to that and you're like identifying how resistance shows up in your life and how it is usually the stuff that you feel really passionate about that you put on the back burner because you're afraid. It's He talks about this connection between love and fear and procrastination. Like the more you love something, you fear the outcome and therefore you procrastinate it. And that's why a lot of us use super mundane tasks to procrastinate because yeah. we don't love them. There's no fear of their outcome. And therefore, we can just like fill our time with those things. That makes so um, much sense. Yeah. The more you love it, the more likely you are to be afraid of it is so interesting to think about. Like how many times does that like because you have so much passion and excitement or dedication to this particular project or thing or whatever, the more likely you are going to like put it off until you can't anymore. And then it just like snowballs yeah. into problems from there. But that's really interesting. Yeah. And he's constantly framing resistance, obviously, as this evil thing because it is. But even when the person isn't nearly as like vile or malicious as Hitler was, like the resistance is so damaging to our own lives because it completely derails us. And he's writing it from the perspective of a writer. And I think we all kind of know that writers have writer's block, same way that we have creative block. And they could go years trying to get one manuscript out, years, decades, yeah. you know, and that is like such a struggle to overcome. Um. And there's a lot of little tidbits of like, just, it's not necessarily like, do this, wake up in the morning, write 10 pages. It's not a book like that. It's so much higher level, higher thinking, and a, like reframing the voices that we already hear in our head and being able to identify them. There were a lot of moments where I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that was me being resistant. Like lately, I've been talking about how much other people, it seems so easy for other people to create, or it seems so easy for other people to have an idea and then instantly implement it. But me even just spending time thinking about that is the way that resistance has latched on to me. And it knows that that's my weakness. My weakness is a compare and despair. And so by me even just giving a single thought to what anyone else is doing at the pace that they're doing it is actually just slowing me down. So instead of think, just do. Like it doesn't yeah. matter what anyone else is thinking or doing. Yeah. Just freaking do your own shit and you'll be <laughs> fine. Yeah. But if you spend one minute thinking about like, oh my God, they just had that idea and they're already posting it on Instagram. Or somebody that did is, it better or sooner or faster or yeah. cheaper or, yeah, absolutely. That's like wow. 15 whole seconds that I could have been applying to doing something on my own. You know what well, I mean? Also and it's never more, just the 15 seconds because it always starts a spiral. I was going to say, maybe more importantly than the amount of time you spend thinking about that is the level of spiral that it starts, you know, that like downhill slide that begins because of it. Yeah, exactly. Even if you've made yourself feel just a little less sparkly you have taken something away that you yeah. could have used. Yeah. Like we start every day. We could start every day with utmost sparkle. 
And then our inner voices just slowly take away like the Removing. energy yeah. and the sparkle that we have um, and kind of deplete us. So it is like a total mind game. And I think that's why I really why I really liked this book is because I feel like I don't need as much business strategy and I don't need a lot of self-help, but I need more recognizing. I need to be able to see it in my life and be like, oh yeah, that's the thing. And now that I know it's there, I'm freaking done with putting up with it. Totally. It's like therapy, you know, like I don't need to like have someone tell me I should feel this way or feel that way, but I need the tools to help myself recognize my own patterns or my own triggers or whatever it is, right? Like exactly. Yeah. 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 So um, just to take another quote from Pressfield, which kind of ties back to, you know, spending time and how you're spending your own time. He says, the paradox seems to be, as Socrates demonstrated long ago, that the truly free individual is free only to the extent of his own self-mastery, while those who will not govern themselves are condemned to find masters to govern them. So I like that because what's so funny is in my weakest moments, and Mariah knows this, I will say, I wish I just had a job that I could clock into. Just worked for someone else. Yeah. I wish I could just work for someone else because it is hard to wake up every day and decide how I'm going to spend every single minute so that I am maximizing myself so that I'm reaching my full earning potential so that I'm feeling my full self-worth that is so much work that's so much brain energy yeah and it feels so much easier to be like I could just go clock in somewhere and still work hard it's not like I don't want to work hard yeah but sometimes it's like well you tell me what to do yeah, it's it's the discipline and the like showing up for yourself every day on your worst days, any day of the week, like after a long weekend, you know, no matter what it is, like that showing up for yourself, for your own business is so freaking hard. Showing up to work every day is not hard. You don't have to think about it. You might have to think about what to wear to work that day or like how soon do I need to leave my house to be traffic? Like that's, those are the questions you ask. Whereas like, the truly free individual, as the quote says, is like, <laughs> if it actually touches on something in one of the quotes in my book, but like, literally, if you give yourself too many options, like we've all encountered this, right? If you like, if you have too many options, you're going to be paralyzed by having too many things to like, to choose from, you need a little bit of structure to like help decide, you know, mm-hmm. it's much easier to choose from A, B or C than it is from A through Z. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I totally I totally agree. And that's, I mean, I feel like any of us who are solopreneurs full time really feel that the pressure of all the things that there are to do. And especially if you do listen to any podcast or you're a part of groups, you're constantly being told what you should be doing or what you could be doing. And it just sort of adds to this endless list of how to run the best business. And you do. You start to tornado all these options and then you just like don't do anything. But the truly free individual is one who has mastered themselves. And so like if you know yourself, if you know your priorities, if you know your strengths, you are able to shut out all the noise 
and create a system that works for you. And it doesn't have to look like what anyone else has done. Um, But that is, to me, that's the truly hard part of running a business. Like, Figuring out paper vendors or how to run a press or any of that stuff. It's all to me, problem solving. Yeah. So easier, so much easier yeah. than figuring out how to manage myself. Yeah. Because I'm a goddamn fair. wild card. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Never a dull moment over here. <laughs> I show up on my A game or not. <laughs> and yeah. very much not. Okay, so something else that he kind of touched upon that I felt like really related to solopreneurs in the same way that it relates to authors, because being an author is so isolating, Um, especially because you're creating a whole world. So all day long, you live in a different world, and then you talk to people who live in this world, and that probably feels very wild. Mm -hmm. And I felt a connection to that because... Being in my house all day and working with presses and just having podcasts on, and then I might go pick up my husband from work and I'm listening to all of them, you know, at a happy hour, like talk about stuff that they all did at work today. There's this camaraderie and whatever. And you kind of lose that a little bit. Like, luckily, I have you, but in person to person, there's no one who's like, talking to me about the shit storm of a paper cutting disaster that happened earlier that day. You know what yeah. I mean? When you drop a whole stack of freshly printed invitations and all the corners of your 220 pound paper are dented, there's no one to like turn to and be like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Or help you pick them up, for example, you know, like whether that's, uh, you know, like a, uh, and like a, metaphor or real, real life scenario, like there's no one right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. So Stephen talked about how um, people often ask him, you know, isn't it so lonely being so isolated? And he was like, but I'm not because I'm creating characters like I am literally with characters all day long in my head. And um, I feel like that's kind of it's not characters for us, but it's something that we're really passionate about. So to me, when a job requires duplexing on the pot Devin, which is a new machine to me, I am enthralled. There is literally nothing that can pull me away. I am so into whatever's happening with the duplexing. And then I'm so into whatever's happening with setting up the die cutting. And then I'm so into mixing my Pantones that seven o'clock rolls around really quick. And I'm like, oh, shit, I've got to go pick my husband up from work. Yeah. (laughs) The day it doesn't feel isolating in the time. I'll notice it when I'm out in public and I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot how to socialize. (laughs) But (laughs) day to day doesn't feel lonely. And other people find that wild. There are some people who cannot fathom what we do. Yeah. I do think that there are days where it feels super lonely, but in general, like our brains and our like, we're mentally just so involved in the process because we're so passionate because it's a labor or like detail oriented, like, you know, we're addicted to that. And I think that we've also gone through that like whole transition from working in an office or working with a group of people to working for ourselves. Um, But yeah, that's, it is interesting. I like the idea that 
this author is like, no, actually, I talk to people all day long in my books. <laughs> like, I think that's really, that's really, that's a really fun perspective. But it is true. I think you're totally right. That Like, I don't feel lonely when I'm printing a job. Like, that's not when I feel lonely. You know what I mean? It's never like, when I'm in my studio, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm so lonely. I wish I had someone in the studio with me. Like, that's not, you know, it doesn't come to my mind. It's never. Yeah. And it's, being lonely. it's such a good sign of like, let's say, you know, we're holding a compass in our hands for life. Those feelings of like full contentment while working independently, I feel like is showing that we're following our true north yeah. because it's so easy to tell. At least I found it very easy to tell in my last career, which was almost north. It was northwest, leaning west. You know what I mean? Like not quite northwest. Um, I was like, I'm so close. I love doing this creatively. It touches on aspects of my personality that I think are strong skills. But all in all, this just doesn't feel 100% right. Yeah, I totally get that. But I could be down with Gordy for eight hours and – probably pissed at him for one thing or another but still feeling really good about being there you know okay so just a few more points from the book which clearly I highly recommend and I am seriously cherry picking the smallest details there is so much more (laughs) to everything that Stephen had to say about resistance it it's just it's really great Okay, but another zinger that I wrote down. (laughs) You know it's good when that's my note. Another zinger. He says, remember the part of us that we imagine needs healing is not the part that we create from. That part is far deeper and stronger. The part we create from cannot be touched by anything our parents did or society did. That part is unsullied, uncorrupted, soundproof, waterproof, and bulletproof. In fact, the more trouble we've got, the better and richer that part becomes. So I really loved this because there is sometimes a lot of correlation between emotional baggage and trauma and the ability to create or this idea of needing to be a starving artist. And I just don't buy into that. I think that you... I truly do think he's absolutely right that the part that you're creating from is so independently you. Like you were born with something deep inside of you that nobody else can ruin or take away. And you can tap into that. You might have to like cut through the noise. You know what I mean? All the maybe negative self-talk that you were taught like growing up because you heard your mom do negative self-talk or like all these other things. You might have to dig through all that shit, but like deep down, like it's inside of you. Yeah. That's interesting. I do feel like, I mean, I know we know tortured artists, right? That's always the thing. Um, Or, you know, artists who are crazy and they cut off their ears and all that stuff. Um, But I feel like there is, I think that you can express those feelings creatively, but you're not necessarily creating because of those feelings, right? Is that Exactly. Does that sound like It's this false belief that because of the trauma, because of the torture, it is why you're creating. But truthfully, you could have not cut your ear off and still have created. <laughs> yeah. Like you're creating it is- you're creating to express those feelings, not creating 
because of those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. That's I it's really correlation, like that. not causation. Yes. The thank two you. may be correlated, but one is not causing the other. Yes. And okay. um specifically the part of the book that he is talking about this is like a lot of people feel like they need to heal something before they could start their journey. So mm-hmm. this is an area where I thought, oh, this is really good for someone who's just starting out because a lot of people think I need to do X, Y, Z before I am good enough for this. Yeah. And that's just not true because you just doing that thing Like I'm watching my brother right now. He, as a hobby, started to make these rugs and it was literally just a way for him to like take his mind off his anxiety. And now he's made like 10 rugs and he posts, he just posts little updates every day on Facebook and people are loving them and he is loving it. And this whole idea that he may have not started that because he thought they wouldn't be good. It didn't yeah. matter. When he started it, it was just, I need something to do. Yeah. And then he did it. And now it's like, oh, wow, I really love doing this. And people love that I do it. Yeah. I and started, so you. Yeah, yeah. I started doing calligraphy the same way. Just like after work, it was so fun to just like decompress and do something that got me out of my head. And like, you know, you're doing something that's even just the teensy bit physical. Like, you know, you're looking at that piece of paper and that nib and that ink and that's what you're focused on. Like, it just gets you out of the day-to-day and, I don't know, changes up where your head's at. Yeah. It's awesome. So all of that is from the first part of the book, which is wow. so good. Um, yeah. And wow. then <laughs> I didn't take as much notes on book two and book three because – which are all part of the same book, by the way. He just calls them yeah. book one, book two, book three. Because I do think that it really requires reading to understand like the context of everything he's saying because it is a little bit higher level. Um, But like I said, book two really talks about what it's like or what it is to be a professional. And he lists 10 things, but I'm just going to read like a couple of them. So number one is we show up every day. We might do it only because we have to to keep from getting fired, but we do it. We show up every day. And I feel like that's such a strong point. If you want to be the professional of your life, the professional of your business, just showing up every day is step one. And like truly showing up, not just being like, oh, I checked my emails, but like truly showing up. Um, Number two is we show up no matter what in sickness and health, come hell or high water, we stagger into the factory. I'll put that in quotes. It's not, but like stagger into the factory. And I feel like as a solopreneur, we all have to do that. Like even when we're sick, we're still checking those emails, answering, letting people know there might be a delay. Yep. Um, We stay on the job all day. Our minds might wander, but our bodies remain at the wheel, which I think is really important. We are committed over the long haul, which is a great one because it is truly a long haul, especially if you're working for yourself. Yeah. And the last one I'll read from here is that the stakes for us are high and real. And I when I read that, I was like, oh, that's a point of professionalism that I think I never really considered before. But it is true. Like if you are a professional, if you are really dedicated to what you're doing, the stakes are high and real for you yeah. because you are 
are kind of putting everything into this. Um, and he does hard. talk about not over identifying with our, with your job, which I do think is healthy to not over identify with your job. There's a lot of this comparison between a professional and an amateur. And it's kind of like the amateur wants to scream really loud and be like, I'm an artist, I'm an artist, I'm an artist. And the professional is just like quietly behind him doing his work. You know what I mean? Yeah. But oh, I, I do. Painting. Oh, it's mine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I do think that there is a bit of like, I don't know, significance in the identity that you have. Like you might not be screaming about it and projecting about it. In fact, people may have to extract it from you by saying, and what is it you do, Mariah? Yeah, I <laughs> but, know. It's, um, yeah. But it is your full identity. Like you are a letterpress printer. Like that is like, it's something you are so passionate about, you know? Yeah. I think, I think when you say the stakes for, for us are high and, and real, it's, you know, this is about survival, feeding our families, like all of that. It's, I think that's so, it's wild to think about as a solopreneur, as an entrepreneur that like the stakes for us are very high and very real. Like yeah. do not succeed. We do not pay our bills. Like if we do not get the number of jobs we need, we do not, you know, if we have to pay too much for supplies, like those things, the stakes are incredibly high. They are very, very real. And it's wildly easy to forget that. And I think that a lot of people from the outside also forget that for us. Like, you know, people who just see our silly reels on Instagram are like, oh, well, haha, that's so cute. No, like this is literally how we pay our bills. You know, like yeah. it's, it's a good reminder, I think, for me and for all of us that, you know, like talking about this is how a professional, you know, what is it? What is it? How, how do you define someone as a professional? Like the stakes are the stakes are high and real. This is our business. This is our life. This is our livelihood. Like that's yeah, I needed that reminder, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know that one really hit home for me, too. I was like, I almost did like a double take when the audiobook played that part. I was like, oh, yeah, that one. That's yeah, a good one. It is a good one. Um, so the third part of the book, it talks a lot about muses and, um, this part could be a little woo for some people, but I am the kind of artist that really appreciates the idea that my brain is not the sole responsibility of coming up with a creative thought and that. I am not a religious person. I guess I should stipulate that up front. I'm not a religious person, so I don't think that it is a God passing through me, but I do think that there is a creative energy in the universe that you can tap into if you open yourself up to it and you allow yourself to be a vessel for it. And I believe that because when I have my best ideas, like some of my ideas are very forced. Like I needed a concept. I went on Pinterest. I made a board and then I forced myself into a concept and those come out nice. But when this like moment of genuine inspiration just like happens and it's usually like you're in the shower or you're on a drive or whatever, those are the things that I have made that have like blown my own mind. And I don't know where those ideas came from. 
And I could take full credit for them, but I feel more comfortable being like, no, the universe passed that shit on to me and I put my little dust on it. Mm -hmm. But like that idea came through me from something else. And so the rest of the book really talks about the muses and how they work through you and how you can work with them and all these different things. And again, it's not wake up in the morning and write 10 pages and do this. It's not that kind of stuff. It's a little bit more woo and like sort of higher thought than that. Um, It's not like a how-to guide, but it was very powerful. And I feel like if you are someone who is struggling creatively in any aspect, reading this book in its entirety is really going to help you even if you don't feel resistance as much, but maybe you're not speaking to the muses as easily. Mm. Like maybe you're kind of stuck in between that, like part one and part three. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then my last thought on the book is that the only negative comment I have is that I wasn't a big fan of all the Tiger Woods references. LOL. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, especially because this, it was written in the early 2000s or at least published then 2002. So, um, so I'm going to say it's probably pre him exposing himself for who he is. Yeah. Um, but it it's just a lot of like praising Tiger Woods for his excellence, which regardless, he is still an amazing golfer. So like everything that's said in the book withstands, yeah. except for the fact that there are so many other people that we could pick. Yeah. But, um, I'll it's give Stephen a break that, because it was yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> it's just funny that it's like so specific. What is the obsession? Um, I don't know. I'm sure he has a valid right. reason for why when he it became Tiger like Woods so much, but. Yeah, when it became like three or more references, I was like, okay, I need to make note of this because yeah. <laughs> it's a little much. <laughs> this is suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I understand the through line to like, you yeah. know, pick one person, keep coming back to show all how all these different things apply. Just wish we picked almost anyone else. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that is a synopsis of The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Highly, highly recommend. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. I'm gonna have to go. Uh, well, maybe I'll listen to it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the audiobook, I think like the video is like two and a half hours or something, but I have that sucker on 2x speed. And it's perfect. Say. Yeah, yeah. It's perfect. the guy reads really slow. So 2x speed is like, nice the that's right like one. Oh, that's a print job right there i love it yeah <laughs> perfect cool all right so what do you have for us today in book oh yeah club? I would, sorry i wasn't sure if we want to just roll straight into it okay so yeah. i read steal like an artist 10 things nobody told you about being creative by austin cleon and austin cleon's career he started in like working at a public library where he began on the side, like blogging and posting some of his poems alongside his job of teaching library users to use computers and that kind of thing. He also kind of taught himself some coding skills and then eventually went on to become a web designer and eventually published his first book, which was poetry. And it was called Newspaper Blackout. He basically blacked out sections of newspapers to create poems out of the words that were left visible. And oh, that's so cool. Yeah, cool concept to begin with. And I think a really unique idea. And then he followed that up with a trilogy of illustrated books about creativity in the digital age, which I've just finished reading the first one, which is Steal Like an Artist. 
So it's the first of these three that he created. Um, and this book came about after he did a talk for students at a community college in like 2011. So think back to 2011, you know, the digital age blogging is like a big thing. It's kind of blowing up, right? Like, I don't know when Instagram started, but it was probably not too much before that. And then, you know, he outlined his talk with like a list of things he wished he had heard when he was starting out as an artist or as a creative person. Um, each of these items on his little list is given a chapter in this book. And there are really great like illustrations and some really great quotes from other artists and other people. So generally like overview, I feel like this book is just full of encouragement and really applies like no matter where you are in your artistic journey. It's like a quick, fun read that'll leave you feeling just inspired. I'd recommend it to those starting out in their creative pursuits or anyone who just wants a little refreshing creative read. I basically just went through and pulled a quote of something from each chapter that like either just kind of like punched me in the face or I thought would just be really fun to talk about. And so I'm just going to read the title of the chapter, which is his list of 10 things. And then we'll talk about each one within. So the first chapter is steal like an artist. And the quote that I pulled from this that I really loved was what a good artist understands is that nothing comes from nowhere. So, I mean, we've talked a lot on the podcast about like, you know, getting inspiration, but not stealing ideas. So the whole concept of like stealing quote, like an artist is like a little hard to grasp, I think, but Basically, he kind of wants you to embrace the idea of being influenced by artists and art and sources that you like and just create rather than focusing too hard on being original. And like the more ideas you collect, the more you can choose from uh, kind of an idea. So like there's a lot of different ways he kind of <laughs> expands on this throughout the book. But, you know, you're shaped by the things you let into your life, whether you want to be or not. And so he's basically just like you are nothing there's nothing new in the world it's all been done i think there's another quote that's something along the lines of like it's all been done before but nobody or all been said before but nobody was listening so i have to say it again and i thought that was a really oh, good way that. to put it like you know obviously you shouldn't be going out and copywriting things or stealing things that are copyrighted that's not the concept here we're talking about stealing like an artist which is you know allowing yourself to be influenced by that art, that artist, that music, that like poetry, that performance, like being influenced by those things and allowing it to fuel your creativity and taking little pieces of each of those things rather than stealing that concept, you know, oh, I really like that color palette from that piece of art. And I really like the way this artist portrays this thing, like taking pieces of those things to make your own kind of style. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. nothing is harder than when you're like working on a project and you're trying to get yourself to create something without looking at anything else. Yes, like, absolutely. It is so, so hard. And especially if you're not doing anything collaborative with someone. Because sometimes just like bouncing ideas off another person is enough. But yeah. like to literally think you're going to pull an idea out of a void is – it's just asking yourself to do so much more work and to struggle so much more than you need to. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, allowing yourself to be influenced, just create things rather than focusing on being original. I think that has a lot to do with like that, you know, imposter syndrome, that paralysis that like, oh, well, so-and-so did it faster, sooner, better, quicker, cheaper, whatever. Like yeah. just because somebody else has done it doesn't mean yours doesn't need to be done as well. You know what I mean? Like, I think right. it kind of relates back to what we were talking about earlier. Like just because somebody else pulled this idea out of their head and made it in, into a real product quicker doesn't mean that you shouldn't make it too. You know what I mean? In your own yeah. version. 
So I think that's kind of important as well. Um, and that kind of leads into chapter two, which is don't wait until you know who you are to get started. Quote, you're ready. Start making stuff. And I just love that. Like, mm -hmm. I think yeah. a lot of like, you know, for us, it's very much like, I think we've done a pretty good job of this. Like, just start making things and start sharing it. And we talked about this briefly, you know, talking about your book, like, get over the fear of like starting and, you know, maybe a little less resistance and uh, then hopefully you can fake it till you make it. Um, but just start creating. That's the only way to develop your own style. That's the only way to make progress. That's the only way to learn. It's the only way to get exposure. Like the only way to do things is to just start making it. And then he also mentions in this chapter, like copy what you love, but don't just steal the style, take the thinking behind the style. So you know, find the things that you like and learn what you like about it. So say it's an artist. I really like this particular artist because of X, Y, Z. And okay, so they were influenced by these artists or they were trained or went to school with or whatever with these artists. What am I going to, what can I learn about those artists? And then follow that train and follow that kind of flow chart to find, you know, even more inspiration that relates to what you liked about that original thing, which I think is a fun concept and could be a fun, I don't know, project to like, rather than just building yeah. a Pinterest board like you know it's like we talked in our gathering inspiration like don't just build a, a mood board with a whole bunch of stationary examples put you know florals and color palettes and art and scenery that you really think like applies to the general vibe you know that kind of thing not just taking direct sources and duplicating them but copying yeah. what you like about something or very the, the recently applies. oh sorry you're good. Very recently, um, someone gave me the permission to like look at work at stationary work that I like and mm -hmm. try to pull from it directly, try to create a project based off something that I've seen, which I usually completely avoid. I will try mm -hmm. to like not look at stationary at all. But the project actually like really made me think about how you can see something like if you're scrolling Instagram and all of a sudden you see this suite and it just hits you in the face and you're like, wow, I wish I did work like that. Well, you can do work like that. So just like look yeah. at it. Is it the colors? Is it the composition? Is it mm -hmm. the white space? Is it the density of illustrations? Is it the layering? Like those are all words you could pull out and then make something with them. Like no one has copyrighted layering. Yeah. No one has copyrighted squiggly Boils. illustrations <laughs> yeah as yeah. long as you are literally not tracing someone else's work or taking a screenshot and reprinting it you're gonna be okay but you could look at something and pull the things that you like from it yeah because it's gonna go through your filter and good shit's gonna come out of that yeah. filter absolutely and it'll have your personality or your t like taste or style you know applied to it whether yeah. or not you were looking at that one thing, you know, the idea here in general and with gathering inspiration and not being a copycat is just, hey, I really like X, Y, and Z about that invitation that so-and-so created. I want to take X, Y, and Z and make my own version out of that, you know? Yeah. It's one thing to take a specific font, a specific color, a specific graphic and just make something else with that. It's another thing entirely to say, I've really loved like, this clean shape with this handmade paper torn edge, you know, like that can be a more specific thing that you like. That's not someone's, you know, intellectual property. Um, yep. So yeah. All right. So chapter three was write the book you want to read because, you know, he's writing as an author, but I yeah. think that this is 
something that I actually really apply to my own products, not necessarily my own invitations and things, because that's not necessarily a liberty I have, but make the art you want to hang on your wall, write the book that you want to read, write the story that you, how you wish it had turned out, you know, like make something because that's what you think it should be, how you think it should be made. And that is what will draw people to it is making something because you love it. There are other people who are going to like the same things you do. Not everyone is going to like what you do, but there are other people who are automatically going to like the same things you do because that's just human nature. So make the thing that you wish was out there. Start the business for the service that you wish existed. That all applies kind of in the same concept here. And I think that chapter, I'm not going to tell you much more about it because you have to go read it, but that (laughs) chapter alone is like, yes, 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 yes. (laughs) All of it. Chapter four is use your hands. And the quote he starts out with is from Linda Berry. And it says, in the digital age, don't forget to use your digits. And I think this is like something that is so hard for, I think, graphic designers specifically um, in this kind of, you know, people we're talking to. I think that's a really like easy application. You know, (laughs) being able to print that rough draft and see visually on a piece of paper what you don't like about it, what you do like about it, changes that need to be made, et cetera. Like that will help you develop your final draft and the finished product so much faster than a million revisions online or on your computer screen. You know, like I think it's important to, whether that's, you know, for us, like going on the press and trying this idea that we're not super sure about, like all of those things, being able to physically feel it, physically see it in front of us, you know, building a mock-up of that packaging you want to try and create, like whether you're using exacto knife and a ruler, like, or you're sending it off to be made, like, you know, getting that physical, tangible copy or rough draft can be super helpful in the process. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Are you following Val Lucas's journey with the like money poster that she was making Mm-mm. on Instagram? Um, so Bauer box Val Lucas on Instagram was making like, um, some sort of poster. I, I didn't see the end of the series if she did, uh, share it or anything, but, um, she had like the word money in wooden type trying to go through this frame, but the word was just a little too wide. Like the type was just a little too wide. So mm-hmm. she went in and hand carved a new M that was a little bit more narrow. And yeah. that was the first thing I thought of when it when you said, use your hands in the digital age, don't forget to use your digits. I was like, yeah, some of us are out here straight up carving our own wood type oh, well, yeah. to be able to finish a project. And it's so You think awesome. a little whittling is going to stop me? <laughs> yeah. Val's like, I, um, I melt metal. I'm, I can handle a piece of wood. No problem. <laughs> Yeah. So seriously, like the idea of like getting your hands dirty and making something like building a little mock up or even if you're just like mocking up what a what a final product would look like for your client, like you're creating the enclosure out of just some cardstock that you have on hand. It's so satisfying to do that stuff. Totally. It really is. Like and then, you know, even if it's like I have all kinds of stupid knickknacks on my desk that I just have like accumulated, like a teeny tiny envelope. Will I ever use this teeny tiny envelope for anything? No. Have I had it sitting on my desk for months and months? Yes. Does it bring me joy every time I see it? Absolutely. Like the things (laughs) you just like, whatever inspires you, you know, like just having it there gives me ideas. Like, and I don't know, like I recently put all of, I have these shelves behind my computer 
and I put all of my like die cut samples. I had just like boxes of die cut samples just sitting there. And I'm just like, I need to figure out a better way to store these. So one day I just like took, I literally just like, you know, when you like sweep your arm across the desk and just clear everything off of it. I basically did that with those shelves. And I just took everything off of them. And I put all my dyes up there. And now I can literally just be sitting at my desk looking at them and be like, oh, I forgot I had that shape. Like, why don't I do something with that? Or, you know what I mean? I have all my little like enclosures and pockets and custom envelopes right here. I can be like, what size was that again? Boop, boop, boop. Having those things in front of me is so helpful, but also just a reminder to have a physical thing, you know, whether it's checking to see that the size is correct to what I designed or like, you know, giving yourself inspiration for next time. Um, It's super helpful to have those actual physicals in front of you. I absolutely have a mock-up of every single one of these shapes in a file on my computer. But you know how often I reference that versus the thing right in front of me? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. Absolutely. Okay. So side projects and hobbies are important is chapter five. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this whole book, as I'm I'm reading, I'm thinking, wow, we covered a lot of this in our little like getting, like gathering inspiration episode that we did. So I feel pretty proud about that. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go do that. But um, side projects, hobbies, so important um, to the creative process. And I think this quote, especially like this was one of those punch you in the face quotes, the work you do while you procrastinate is probably the work you should be doing for the rest of your life. And this quote was by Jessica Hish. And not only did Hell we basically yeah. talk about that in like talking about your book, but it's so true. Like I was procrastinating the other day and I was like taking photos of like my flat lay, like little flat lays of a couple of my suites that I haven't photographed anything of yet. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is like the fun stuff you enjoy doing about your job. That's the stuff that you like, you know, should be doing and like the things you're avoiding and you're procrastinating, like your bookkeeping. Maybe just outsource that if you can, you know, if you're in a place where that makes sense for you business wise. Um, I think that we should pay a lot of attention to side projects, things we take on for fun or at a discounted rate because we want to or donate to a group that we care about. Um, hobbies that we really like, you know, don't monetize things you don't have to monetize. Um, We don't want you to like make every hobby into a business venture um, if you're at all like us, but um, definitely look at those things and look at what you avoid and what you actually procrastinate. Like, you know, you can tell you're like, I'm going to procrastinate the shit out of this. Make sure that you're paying attention to that and thinking about those things, because this is what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. Um, This is, you know, what you're going to be doing as your income, as your like, what puts food on the table, make sure it's something that you love if you can. Number six, the secret, do good work and share it with people. So there's no formula for becoming known. This is kind of addressing like being discovered, becoming famous or popular or whatever, finding that level of like recognition and success. So there's no formula, but as he says in this book, just two simple steps, do good work and share it with people. Um, So, you know, when you first start and you're still working on being discovered, that's the time to like experiment and just create for the fun of it. There's no pressure. There's no, you know, expectations. So you can kind of create and experiment however much you want to. As you become more popular, more famous, whatever, maybe you don't want to be famous per se, but just have a level of success that puts you in front of more eyeballs or more critical eyeballs, Um, you know, just create things that you're proud of and that you love and share that with people and hopefully they will come. You know, 
I think Brit has talked about that a few times over the you know the years where she's like said something like create it and they, build will, it, come. they will come build it and they'll come yeah like she's definitely yeah. said that and I think that's very true like if you stay true to your style and true to yourself and create things that you love and you put that out there enough then hopefully the right people will come your way but anyway I also really liked this part of this chapter it's kind of towards the end of the chapter but he says, you know, share your dots, but don't connect them. And I think that really rings true in the age of sharing everything on social media and also with the sharing of that stuff leading to copycats or outright theft, you know, people taking your design and selling it on Alibaba. <laughs> Comments always, people are always commenting and asking like, oh, what printer do you use? Or where'd you get that really unique paper? Well, you don't have to give away all of your information. You can keep some of that, you know, behind closed doors. That's, you know, that is your prerogative. And Part of sharing is deciding, you know, you get to hit post on that post and you don't have to share everything. Um, so, you know, keeping some of those sources or keeping some of that information or just keeping the, like the, the things more interesting by only sharing bits and pieces of it, like making them come back tomorrow to see the next piece of that puzzle can also be a thing. So whether you're just trying to maintain some integrity or if you're just trying to like make it more interesting, there are, you know, you don't have to necessarily, you can share all your dots, but you don't necessarily have to connect them. Um, so I think that's kind of a fun way to think about things as well. Yeah. And then chapter seven, geography is no longer our master. I think this book was written in, you know, 2011 or 12. So I think this is even more true in the post pandemic world. Yeah. There are so many places online to connect with other people. You definitely do not have to live near other artists or people in your field to begin connecting with them. Jillian and I live 2,000 miles away from each other. <laughs> so clearly we are living proof of this. Um, there are also places like, you know, you don't have to necessarily like travel the world to find inspiration that you're looking for. Um, there are places on the internet or in your home or in your backyard that you can find inspiration. And one of the greatest things you can do to fuel your creativity is to leave home. Um, and that can mean a lot of things. You know, it's we talk about again about that in our episode about finding inspiration, but Basically, the gist is just step out from behind your computer for a bit or get out of your bubble when you're in a rut. And that can be as far or as close as you need it to be. Um, you may decide, I'm so I'm in such a deep rut, I need a trip to Italy right now. Um, or it could just be like a walk around the block or hanging out in the backyard for a minute with the dogs. Like, <laughs> But regardless, you know, geography is no longer our master, like you can just browse the internet and see anything you ever want to see, or you can go work from anywhere if you're just a graphic designer or you outsource most of your printing. Like both of those things apply and no longer in this day and age do we really have to like, you know, if you're a creative entrepreneur, there's not a lot of reason you probably have to like be there every day at the same place, same time. Like go work from a coffee shop or go to an art museum for lunch, like that kind of thing. So yeah. And then... I really liked kind of the end of this book. It focuses a little bit more on, I think, I feel like it, I feel like it kind of comes back to this like internal like element, but this chapter number eight, be nice. The world is a small town. I actually think you and I, I had that. a really good conversation kind of about this the other day. So yeah, quote, if you talk about something on the, someone on the internet, they will find out. <laughs> and so we talked about this the other day and I basically told you like pretend like every email you send may one day be public information or read in a courtroom out loud you know it seems common sense to be kind to other people that sh hopefully doesn't need to be said but what Austin is talking about in this book and what Jillian and I were discussing the other day is the idea that what's on the internet 
we all know may very well live forever, way beyond us. And it's also possible that whatever you have that may be private on the internet might accidentally become public one day, or you could send the message to the wrong person, or you might comment or share something that's vague, but somebody who sees it might know what you're talking about because they were that person you're talking shit about. You know, it'll never hurt you to say nice things about people. And it will also never hurt you to just simply not say the not nice things. And another item he brings up in this chapter is to pay attention to who's in your life, whether that's personally or professionally. And quote, if you ever find that you're the most talented person in the room, you need to find another room. But also- I love that. I know, I do too. Also that if people in your room are talking shit, being unhelpful, negative energy, et cetera, then find another room because the energy of the people you surround yourself with will also affect and become your energy eventually. So yeah, I mean- I like the idea of if you ever find you're the most talented person in the room, you need to find another room. Um, I think there's somebody else. I don't remember who the I hear. I hear a lot of people like use this concept, but as far as intelligence, like you, you are the sum of the five people you surround yourself with. So if you want to be like, if you want to work on self-improvement or if you want to work on your intellectual level, like you actually want to surround yourself with, five other people who are smarter more than you. More successful. Yeah, more successful. Or more, more successful smart, smarter or whatever. Yeah. And but I've never heard it like quite put the way of being talented and I think that is like so freaking brilliant because yeah, you do want to be in a room full of like more talented people than you um mm-hmm. because you are always going to rise. Yeah. To that. You know Absolutely. what I mean? And if, Absolutely. yeah, if you are the big fish in your small pond, then you're not rising anymore. Yeah. I mean, how will you grow if everyone knows less than you or has less talent than you or isn't as smart as you? You know what I mean? Like, how would you grow from that? And I think that, you know, it definitely has to do with like energy thing for, I, I believe that, that like, if you're hanging out with, you know, a whole bunch of useless people who are just, you know, talking shit all day and being unhelpful, then eventually, you know, you're going to just start doing those things too. And I don't know, I think that choosing your friends and your, your, your people close carefully is, is really important, but yeah. Yeah. I just love that. Then the next chapter is number nine, be boring. It's the only way to get work done. And I think this is really funny. Like something that we often forget, you know, like you want to think like working for yourself is like, super exciting and every day is like incredibly fun but like honestly I feel like a lot of it is just like going to your freaking desk every day and answering those stupid emails is like you know it's like that's sometimes the most important thing but um he summarizes some different points um and they are you know take care of yourself stay out of debt keep your day job get yourself a calendar keep a logbook, and find yourself a good partner And those all may seem like really boring things, but they are intended to give you the mental freedom to be creative. And I think that, you know, all of those, you don't necessarily need to do all of them per se, but I've dropped the ball on some of those big time, (laughs) real big time. Yeah. But ideally, like, I think the whole idea is like, you know, have your boring, safe, secure life so that you can spend all of that mental energy and physical energy on doing the things you're excited about and creating things that you love and creating for fun. Um, Yeah. I was actually just talking to Zach about this because um, we recently uh, went to a concert 
for a band that I've been listening to since I was a teenager. And I was telling our friends like how many times I've seen that band. And then there's like another band that I've also seen like in the double digits of times. And I went upstairs and I pulled out this box of all of my concert tickets and festival wristbands. And it's just like crazy. We pulled them out. And in like 2014 alone, like that one calendar year, I went to 23 shows. Some of them were repeat bands. I just followed them around. And, you know, since I like I didn't mean to phrase it this way, but I was like, oh, yeah, since meeting Zach, I think I've only gone to like three concerts, three or four concerts. And of course, he was offended. He was like, but why? And I (laughs) Zach's like, I'm a fun guy. (laughs) I know. Well, he doesn't like concerts, though. But I actually think it's this. I think it's this thing of like. I was trying to fill a void all those years. And for me, live shows was a good way to fill the void because I love music. I fangirl so hard for certain bands. And so like spending all of my money to travel all over to go see them was totally worth it. But then as soon as I like found a good partner and I started my own business, like I didn't have that void anymore. And I've been totally content with quote unquote being boring and you know not going to a bazillion shows yeah because like my life is so fully sustained in other ways so that is like a huge nugget now the stay out of debt part made me really panic when I first read your notes (laughs) but um now I feel good about it I feel like I am boring and I'm checking that one off yeah, I think that like, you know, on the subject of stay out of debt, it's or keep your day job, I guess they both kind of apply in the same way. But like, you know, from going from being fucking broke and struggling to like pay bills and buy supplies and do all those things, like from going to that to being, you know, financially stable as an entrepreneur is, I think, a very enlightening journey. <laughs> um, yeah. And you it's realize definitely a humbling like, one. Yeah, oh, for sure. It's humbling. And like, you'll learn so much about yourself uh, and about everything. Um, But I really feel like when you get to that place where you're financially comfortable and you're thriving in your business and your business is paying your bills and everything is coming a lot easier, the amount of growth I personally experienced once I reached that point and not just like mentally, like I grew as a person very much so. I do not believe I'm the same person as I was when I started that journey. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, you also, all of a sudden, when you have financial, you know, stability, your brain, so much of your stress is relieved. And so much of your brain power is freed up that like, whether that means you have to keep your day job, or, you know, for a little longer than you might want to or whatever, like, that is, I think, a huge fuel for creativity is being comfortable, right? Being boring and having a boring life having none of that stress or as little as possible will give you so much more capacity to create. Um, And I mean, just think about like sleeping well, you know, how much better you like perform after sleeping a solid night versus like staying awake, stressing about stupid shit. Like (laughs) that right there will summarize how much more, you know, like you can Well, at this point I only function without sleep and I have a feeling that's only about to get worse. (laughs) But I agree with you after a good night's sleep, you're definitely on your A game. Yeah. All right. Last chapter is creative. Creativity is a subtraction. And I think that he probably, you know, likes this 
term or phrase because of his, you know, poetry, right? Where he removes all the words from these newspaper articles to create poetry out of the remaining letters. But I think we've all kind of experienced this. You know, we talked about it when we were talking about Steel uh, War of Art. But when someone tells you anything you want, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I'm paralyzed because there are too many options. And sometimes, you know, you need a few limitations uh, to create something. And you don't want too many. There's a fine balance here. You know, you have a, a client who really wants this and that and this particular font and all of a sudden you hate everything. But there is some way you can kind of like play with this in creativity. And, you know, that could be setting yourself a timer or giving yourself like one color to work with or one tool. Um, give yourself a little bit of a challenge and see what you can come up with and what you create. Because I feel like there's a lot of, you know, a little bit of pressure can be a really fun challenge for you. Even if it's something just to get you out of a rut, not necessarily working on a specific project, or maybe it's just a project for fun. But yeah, even if, you know, if you're working on a deadline, you know, maybe set yourself a timer and see how many ideas you can come up with that amount of time. Like, there's a lot of ways to give yourself a little bit less breathing room that will help you in the long run. So yeah. Or even just a jumping off point. Like I've found that I sometimes spend hours and hours on the like first design iteration that I'm going to send a client and I'm constantly coming back and being like, I need to figure out a way to shorten this time. Like I cannot be spending this amount of time on every single custom project. Um, But what I find is that like my clients always have really good feedback to whatever it is I send them. So like I could have literally sent them the very first idea that popped out of my head. And even if they gave me feedback, I really don't like this. They're going to tell me what they don't like about it, which is going to give me a little bit more parameter. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Agree completely. Yeah. I overall, I just really love this book. I mean, it was really digestible. It's all very like, you know, it's not anything super massive to wrap your brain around, but Mm -hmm. it's a really fun read. And I feel like it's one of those books that energizes you. You finish it or you read a couple chapters and you're like, oh man, I'm going to go like do this or that and create things. Like it's one of those books that, you know, really just kind of fuels the fire. Um, He also, so there's a series of three of these books at this point and the other books are show your work and keep going. And so I'll probably be reading those as well. I'll keep you all updated, but I just think it's fun. Like he kind of carries through this concept with becoming like, keep going, you know, keep creating, keep like growing and show your work is about like, you know, that concept of, uh, you know, do work and share, do good work and share with people. So he kind of expands on a couple of these ideas in his other books. So um, yeah, I think they're not like super long reads. They're pretty light and easy. Um, They are also illustrated. He has some really fun, like little doodles and things. So there's a lot of cute, like Instagram and, and Pinterest quotes that are actually from these books as well. So you've probably already seen a few of these, but um yeah so 10 out of 10 recommend (laughs) love it I love that we're starting our uh book series off with two books that we give 10 out of 10 recommendations for yeah I think I think it's really important you know I think I read a lot so reading is no like big ask for me I'm like a book oh no how dare you ask me to read a book um but I think that as creatives who, you know, like when you get stuck in that rut or you need a little refresher, I think sometimes it's a good reminder to read books like these that, you know, get your brain working again and kind of get you thinking about things in a different light or just reminding you that, you know, there's different ways to think about things. Um, So yeah, I think that it's really good to continue educating yourself in that way and also just 
fun sometimes in the case of Still Like an Artist. So, yeah. And the good thing about actually reading a book, obviously the audiobook is an option. Um, but what I really liked about reading The War of Art was that I couldn't multitask. Yeah. That first time that I read it through. Yeah. So I like had to focus on what I was reading. Whereas normally if I have an audiobook on, I'm also printing or whatever. And mm-hmm. the stuff doesn't like set in as much. But it also means that like I'm not carving that time out for myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if for these, especially because they're quick reads, if you have the opportunity, highly recommend like actually getting the Kindle version or the physical copy, but actually reading the book. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you um, are somebody who likes to read on a Kindle or on your phone, um, you can try Libby, the library app, go to your local library and get your library card. And then you can just plug it into the Libby app. And hopefully some of these books will be available to you to borrow for free. Um, Or you can purchase them, you know, through wherever you like to buy your books, whether digital or or print. Um, And yeah, I mean, I like to use, I think it's bookshop.org. Hold on. That's such a good tip. I like to use um, bookshop.org because every purchase kind of supports an independent bookstore um, and you can choose kind of, you know, what that goes towards. If you are, you know, like me and like to reduce your Amazon spending as much as possible, (laughs) bookshop.org is great. And um, otherwise, you can find a local independent bookstore um, or even a used bookstore and see, you can call them. They can look up whether they have these books. So yeah, there's a lot of options out there if you don't want to just go purchase them from Amazon or if you want them right away, you can purchase them from Amazon. <laughs> um, but we'll include some links to the books and Jillian's audiobook on YouTube and a few other things. So uh, that'll be in the show notes yeah. for you. And we will be continuing this series. So if you have books you want us to read, we would love to. So send us any business-based, print-based books. Um, if it's about printing, about graphic design, about letterpress, about uh, business, about being an entrepreneur, a creative entrepreneur. We would love to hear your recommendations. So send them our way. We'll do a little read and review. And yeah, hopefully you like the little series. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. If you want to continue this conversation about the two books that we read, you could come on over to Instagram at Hot Off The Press Pod. There will be a post just for this episode. And um, like Mariah said, if you have recommendations, please send them to us either DM or via email. That's hello at hotoffthepresspodcast.com. And if you have already bought our letterpress guide, there is a couple books in there. Those are mostly printing specific. We will get to some of those, but we will also be adding all of the books from our series. We'll be adding to future versions of the letterpress supply guide so yeah stay tuned for that as well perfect yay well thanks for tuning in and we will see you next week bye Bye. (laughs) perfect